Genesis 45. He said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him because they were very afraid of him. So Joseph said to them, come close to me. So the brothers came close to him. And he said to them, I am your brother Joseph. You sold me as a slave to go to Egypt. Now don't be worried. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God sent me here ahead of you to save people's lives. No food has grown on the land for two years now, and there will be five more years without planting or harvest. So God sent me here ahead of you. This was to make sure you have some descendants left on the earth, and it was to keep you alive in an amazing way. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. God has made me the highest officer of the king of Egypt. I am in charge of his palace. I'm the master of all the land of Egypt. So leave quickly and go to my father. Tell him, your son Joseph says, God has made me master over all Egypt. Come down to me quickly. Live in the land of Goshen. You will be near me. Also your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have will be near me. I will care for you during the next five years of hunger. In this way, you and your family and all that you have will not starve. A couple weeks ago, I was at Home Depot self-checkout. Maybe you've done this before. And as I was leaving, I overheard the beginning of a conversation. And I really wanted to just stop and stand and listen in to this conversation. Maybe you've done this. Uh, so what happened was there was this younger Home Depot employee who came in and what seemed like a supervisor employee, and they met. And the supervisor said to the younger employee, where have you been? Someone told me that you've been sitting out in your car. And the younger employee responded, what? Who told you that? I have been bringing in all the carts. Go outside and look. And I wanted to keep listening and just stand there. <laughs> but I walked out and let that be. But why is that so fascinating? I think I wanted to know the truth. Who was lying? Who was telling the truth? What is going on? I mean, this younger employee, was he telling the truth? That he truly was out pulling in all the carts? I neglected to look around when I went outside to see if he did. Or was there a malicious, malevolent, evil co-worker who was lying and was making this up to get this nice young employee in trouble. So fascinating. And church can be just like that. <laughs> Each week you come in here, you just hear this little slice of a story. Maybe a little story of God in history. Or a little slice of teaching. You know, just one little scripture passage. And you have no idea what's going on around it. And you just don't know. You just hear this. And that's what we're doing today. We are ending the story with Joseph. Laura Lee just read from Genesis 45. And you might be thinking, what just happened? 
I'm your brother? What? What does that mean? We're picking up at the end of the story. So my invitation to you every week at church is to go and read the scriptures yourself. You can do that. You can fill it in and get all the answers and not rely on my little slice that I'm giving you today. So here we are at the end of the story, the big truth reveal of Genesis 45. It says, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And maybe you're wondering, why are they so terrified? Isn't he their brother? Well, they haven't seen him for 13 years. And you know what happened last time they were together? The brothers, 10 of them or so, sold Joseph into slavery. So now, here Joseph shows up. Of course you're going to be terrified. He's the second most powerful person in all of Egypt, right under Pharaoh. And he could, like, squish them. So, of course, they're terrified. And they're also terrified because this is not their first interaction with Joseph. They've been interacting with Joseph several times. And Joseph has actually been hiding his identity from them. And when they first came, because there's a famine going on, and they came to buy grain, and they show up, and Joseph's there to sell them grain. And Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. He's in Egyptian clothing. He's like this high, powerful person. He's speaking only in Egyptian and using a translator. So he's hiding his identity, and he has the opportunity to test them. He wants to test his brothers. So begins by accusing them. You guys are spies here to search out the land and figure things out, what you can do. And they're like, no, 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 we're not, we're not. And they start telling their story and telling them, oh, you know, we have a father and we have one other brother. And then there's a brother who's already gone. And Joseph is hearing all this and pressing them. You guys are spies. I, that's not true. If you have a younger brother, bring him back to me. Prove it. He's testing them. And so what he does is he, Joseph keeps one brother, Simeon, puts him in jail and says, okay, go bring this younger brother, Benjamin, back to me. Prove it. You ever wonder why Joseph is doing all this? What is going on here? test these brothers. Well, Henry Cloud says that there are three kinds of people, and you need to know who you're dealing with in order to deal with them appropriately. So Henry Cloud, and we've talked about this here before um, in some of his books, but Henry Cloud says there's three kinds of people, the wise person, the foolish person, and the evil person. And the wise person, that's somebody who, when you pre present them with a problem or something that went wrong or you give them reality, they accept it. They want to know. I mean, yes, it stinks to know that they were the problem or it was their mistake or it's their fault, but they want to know. They want to live in reality. Wise people will take it in and hear it and learn from it and hopefully grow. Henry Cloud writes this about wise people. 
when truth presents itself, the wise person sees the light, takes it in, and makes adjustments. So in contrast to the wise person is the foolish person. Because the foolish person is somebody who, when the problem is presented to them, they're confronted by reality. They do the opposite. They reject that. They explain it away. They blame somebody else. They push it away from themselves. They get defensive. They don't want the truth. They're resistant to it. So Henry Cloud writes this about the foolish kind of person. The fool tries to adjust the truth so he does not have to adjust to it. And then the third person is the evil person. Henry Cloud simply says that evil people simply want to hurt you. They want to destroy. There's no negotiating with them. Henry writes this, that evil people are not reasonable. They seek to destroy. So you need to protect yourself. So three kinds of people, Henry Cloud says, you need to know who you're dealing with in order to deal with them appropriately. So if you're dealing with a wise person, you can talk to them. You can bring things to them, and they will receive it. I mean, maybe it's going to be uncomfortable. They don't like hearing that they've made a mistake or something's wrong. But they will hear it and adjust to it, and afterwards probably will say, thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for letting me know. So wise person, you can talk to them. Foolish person, foolish person you can't really talk to. You need to set consequences for them. So instead of rationally working it out, uh, you have to set consequences. Like you can't just talk to them because they'll explain it away or rationalize or they'll, they'll give excuses or blame something else. So you have to simply set consequences and let those consequences create the pain that hopefully will get their attention to then make a change. Because at first they're going to reject everything in reality. But when you deal with an evil person, Henry Cloud says, you just need to stop talking. Stop talking and protect yourself. He says, in this case, you need to, like, get a lawyer, call the police, use your money to protect yourself because they are coming after you. And why? Just because they want to. They just want to hurt you. You can't explain it. So you can't talk to that group of people. So Joseph tested his brothers to find out what kind of people they are. Who is he dealing with? How should he proceed? And he has a little bit of time in this. He can, he can test them and sort these things out. So remember, the last time he saw them, what did they do? Sold them into slavery. That was pretty evil. So he's wondering, are they the same are they the same evil people that are going to do the same kind of things again? Because if they are, they're going to stay separated from them. And it's interesting. We know the story plays out one way. But if they were evil and didn't prove themselves to the test, I think Joseph would have just kept it as a transactional relationship. They come, get some grain, sell them some grain, 
transactional relationship, never reveal himself. But because they passed the test, they did come back. They did bring Benjamin. And even when Joseph was interviewing them, you know, he was speaking through a translator, but they would talk amongst themselves in Hebrew, and he would be listening in on their conversation. And in that, he kind of had a secret insight into, ah, they are aware that they did something really wrong. They feel remorse for what they did to me. They have repented. Maybe they haven't told their dad, but they feel bad about that and wish they didn't. Something has moved in them. So maybe they're not evil 13 years later. Maybe they're just fools now. I don't know this for sure. But maybe, hopefully, there's a little tweak toward wisdom that they are wise now to, to be able to say, we did that. It was wrong. I'm sorry. Hopefully, that movement toward wisdom is happening. So here's Joseph testing them. And what does he find out? Ah, I can trust them. I can put myself toward them. And so what does he do? He just launches on them, grabs them, takes them in, restores the relationship. That's the slice of story we get to know. But there's also another slice of story that we don't necessarily get, which is what do the brothers do to figure out this relationship? I mean, here they're terrified, in shock. What's their process of restoration? How do they heal that relationship with Joseph and get through that? And we don't get the end of that story, but that is a fascinating another sliver. Well, today's Old Testament reading from Genesis 45 is paired with a gospel reading from Luke chapter 6, which is one of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount teaching. And I wonder if Jesus, when he was preparing the Sermon on the Mount, did he have Joseph in mind as he was thinking through these ideas and what he was going to teach, what he was going to say? Here it is from Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, Turn to them all, uh, other, the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Here is Jesus' golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And here's God's way that Jesus is teaching us to love, to do good, to bless, to pray for. These are the ways of God. And as Jesus was thinking about these things, I wonder if he was thinking about Joseph and Joseph's life, how he embodied these things through what he went through and the circumstances of his, of his life. How did he continue to be faithful to love, to do good, to bless, and to pray for. So 13 years before, when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, he was purchased by a guy named Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard. So he got a pretty good job as a slave, 
not working himself to death, but in a home taking care of um, interior things. And it's amazing that Joseph, in that very low spot of life, continued to do good. And the story tells that, that Joseph thrived and prospered, and God's favor was on him so that he rose up through the ranks. He got promoted to the point where he was in charge of everything Potiphar owned. I love the little detail that he was so responsible, so good, that the only thing Potiphar ever had to think about each day was what he would eat. That's how responsible Joseph was to Potiphar. So here he, he was faithful, he did good, he blessed, God blessed him, and he rose to the top. <laughs> but Potiphar's wife. Joseph was there in the home and responsible for everything, and Potiphar's wife thought you would be very nice to sleep with. So he, she approached him seemingly multiple times, and he refused her seemingly multiple times, saying, no, I do good. This is a sin against my master, Potiphar, who's given me everything I have. This is a sin against God. No, I do good. I do what is right. I'm going to do the next right thing. And so she, being a little upset, charges him with and accuses him of rape. And then Potiphar is forced to toss Joseph in jail, into prison. I mean, things were going really well for Joseph. He was doing good. He was doing his right. Now he's in jail, once again, at the bottom and we would all think, it's fine, Joseph. Just do whatever you want now. You've been hurt. You've been thrown aside. Live however you want. But instead, Joseph does the right next thing, seeks to do good, seeks to bless. And he, again, rises up in the however the prison system works to be in charge of the prison as a prisoner, which is still so fascinating to me that perhaps they gave him the keys, I don't know, and said, Joseph, you are one of the prisoners, but here are the keys. We just know you are going to do good. We know you're not going to just walk away. Somehow, the character of Joseph, his allegiance to follow God and God's ways, has created who he is in his life. He does not let the circumstances of his life lower his expectation of how he's going to live. He maintains an attitude of following God wherever he's at, whether it's going great at the top or in the well where his brothers are going to sell him or in the prison, wherever he's at, he is going to continue to be true, to remain faithful, to not lower himself to what the circumstances are. So Jesus said, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other side also. You know, at the surface level, sometimes we can read this and be like, oh, Jesus is saying, you know, just take one for the team. You know, toughen up, be, you know, take the pain. But I don't, that is not what Jesus is saying here. He is not saying, oh, you know, the abuse has been done and just receive it and take it. Jesus is using a cultural example to teach us a third way 
to go. And here again is this Joseph sense right here in this. You know, Joseph is getting kicked down, but he's not letting himself be lowered to that. He's remaining dig- has, with dignity following God. So here you are. You are in this first century culture. And uh, actually, I'll just read this from N.T. Wright, who explains why the slap on the face is an opportunity for a third way. Just quickly, I guess, first way response when somebody slaps you on the face is slap them back, right? Second way somebody slaps you on the face is just cower and, you know, bring yourself low to nothing and remove all your dignity. But Jesus' third way is this. Here's what N.T. Wright says about this brave counter move. He says, to be struck on the right cheek in that world almost certainly meant being hit with the back of the right hand. That's not just violence, but an insult. It implies that you are inferior, perhaps a slave, a child, or in that world, and sometimes even today, a woman. And what's the answer? Hitting back only keeps the evil in circulation. Offering the other cheek implies, hit me again if you like, but now as an equal not as an inferior. It's interesting. Jesus is saying, stand up, hold your dignity. By turning the other cheek, you are putting them in the place of moving down. Because now if they hit you, it's not just a superior hitting an inferior in the correct way. Now they will look bad. This is a, this is a thing that will take them down. So we're not turning the other cheek to, you know, you know, just let the abuse go by. Rather, we are standing firm in who we are in this dignity and turning it on the other person. And Joseph did that by living his life, doing what is good to bless. He did these things, and it stood out. It proved its way over time. Well, this morning, as we have taken just a little peek into Joseph's life and just a few lines of Jesus' teaching, with or without knowing all the rest of the story around that, what are you taking away? What are you hearing? What can you use in your week ahead as you seek to follow God and the way of Jesus? Maybe you hear Joseph's, Joseph's story and you're like, wow, rising the ranks, getting promoted, moving up, life going well. You're like, okay, Joseph, I can relate to that. And I can relate to the temptations that come with that. And you need to say, God, help me stay true to you. Make things clear to me on how to follow you. Or maybe you're feeling the other side of Joseph in the well about to be sold into slavery. Or maybe you feel like you've been put in prison and there's something unjust in your life. Things are going all wrong. And in that place, you need to say, I am going to do the right next thing that God puts before me. And God, please come alongside and support me and encourage me and strengthen me in that. Or maybe with Henry Cloud, you need to do a little personal assessment of what kind of person are you? (laughs) I always like to think about what other people are. (sighs) Easier to assess. But 
what kind of person are you? And you can look at different relationships or circumstances or situations you find yourself, because I think we all wander between these three, if we're honest. But what kind of person are you? And if there is something that you are being evil at and towards somebody, to repent of that and say, God, forgive me, help me be loving, be kind, to bless. Maybe you need to keep the golden rule and simply live by that very easy phrase, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And let Jesus guide you into that in your life. Well, I've been thinking about that young employee at Home Depot. And I hope, I hope he was telling the truth. And I hope that the love of Christ compelled him to love his enemy, to do good to the one who was hating him, to bless those who were cursing him, to pray for those who were mistreating him. And I hope the same for me. I hope the same for you. That by God's grace, we would lean into God's grace to do those good works and to resist all others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we trust that you are leading and guiding us through the wanderings of our lives, that it is not always very clear. And so we turn our eyes and attention to you, to follow you, to seek you, to pursue you, and trust that you will show us the way wherever you are taking us. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.